How are you doing there? Just a quickie before we start. On the Apple podcast, why don't you double click on David McWilliams Plus? It's right there when you open the podcast. You get ad free, you unlock early access. Just double click and away you go. David McWilliams Plus, you get this pure and simple. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It's podcast time. John and I are discussing whether you do pints before wine or after wine. Yeah. It's never a good mix, Mac. It's no, never it's a good not, mix. And I'm suffering a little bit. What is, what's what's the, the phrase, the grape and grain? Yeah, I never really could have understood that. So you have the grape first and the grain thereafter, or is it the know. grain first and the grape thereafter? Anyway, not least, uh, you know, it's, it was one of those nights. Yeah. One of those nights. Big you banging were, head on you. Big banging head, but a good head though. A good, good head in me. Good. good head and good chats. Yeah. I thought it made absolutely loads of sense last night. <laughs> I thought, absolutely, the world is completely soft, completely soft. But today we're going to talk part two of our immigration. Yes, indeed. Before we chat about other stuff, the podcast is going to be on part two, which is last week we chatted about immigration giving you facts, data, statistics on why immigration is unambiguously good for the economy. There's no doubt of that. Yeah. But this week we're going to talk about, yes, it's unambiguously good, but what happens, I'll give you the the economic sort of parameter framework, John, is that, so if you think about free trade, free trade is unambiguously good for an economy. Yeah. But different people get affected differently. So, when, for example, the Americans opened up to Japanese cars in the 1960s and 70s, initially, Americans thought Toyotas in particular were kind of Mickey Mouse cars, right? But what Toyota did is they made available to Americans really good cars that were really cheap. So free trade meant that the average American car buyer was better off, right? Yeah, yeah. So in the aggregate, Americans were better off because cars were cheaper and Americans liked to buy cars as well. Mm. But people in Detroit, for example, were not better off because people in Detroit were the motor city, were yeah. all employed in the car industry. So in the aggregate, Americans were better off, but specifically a place like Detroit was destroyed. And it's a city that we know has suffered immeasurably as a result of that. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. the thing is, yes, free trade benefits everybody, but it benefits some people more than others. And it negatively affects certain people. And therefore, the question is, once you have free trade, is it important? Is it absolutely essential to 
listen to the anxieties of those who are badly affected. Now, the only person, as you know, who articulated the feeling of Detroit was Eminem. That's true. Eight Mile. The only person who actually put Detroit on the map in the 1990s was white rapper from a trailer park. Yes, yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So immigration is the same thing. In the aggregate, immigration absolutely yeah. works. But certain people get affected worse than others. Yeah. And the title of the podcast, before we have a little matter, is whether immigration is a class issue. So the middle class, like ourselves, experience immigration completely differently to the working class. Yeah. Right? Who are competing with immigrants in various different areas. And that maybe explains some of the anger on the street. Yeah. And that, of which that, there is a lot and it's growing. There is a lot. There and is a lot. It's very palpable at, in Dublin at the moment. Well, but before we, well, we're going to go back to before we, you were, you were mentioning public enemy just there before we came on. Yeah, I, just, I was flicking through Twitter there earlier on and there was a great picture from May 1988. I remember it well. When public enemy played in the POV in Trinity they College. They played the Trinity Ball. Yes. Uh, in 19, <laughs> and there's a great picture from the stage looking out on this just probably Two, three hundred people, which you were in there. I, I was, was in there. Yes. But we weren't together for some reason. <clears throat> no, we weren't, which is bizarre. I was, I was avoiding you at the plague. But I remember that. <laughs> what was really funny just about the picture is that we're all kind of scraggly. We all dressed terribly in the late 80s. But there was everyone had this big bewildered face in them. Well, <laughs> Every single person. <laughs> I remember that so distinctly because it was an afternoon gig, which is always a bad yeah, thing. Right? Yeah, it's yeah, always a bad right. thing, right? And you'd public enemy strutting around with their pretend machine guns. Right? Yeah. On the stage, yeah. right? And, and Flavor Flay and Chuck yeah. D and they were yeah. doing this. But that night they played the Trinity Ball. And I remember distinctly, Trinity Ball, it was, it was at 4 a.m. they played, right? It was the yeah. last gig. It was a new square in Trinity. And they, they come out and they're quite menacing at this stage. And it's, the lights go down yeah. and, and it's really heavy, heavy, heavy. And Chuck D is there and Flavor Flay and Chuck D is going to fight the power. Mm. And he's going to fight the power, you know, call out to the crowd. The crowd who are all white, middle class kids are going, fight the power. I'm like, we are the fucking power. (laughs) It just just didn't connect. It didn't connect. I'm looking at white guys and girls in dinner jackets. We're all dicky dogs. And like, yeah, taffeta fucking gowns and everything. Go and fight the power to these guys. And I'm looking, and you can see your man Chuck D going, okay, I've got to go with this. Is that the lead singer? Yeah, you're all studying to be bankers. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the uber privileged going, fight the power. But it's one of the great songs, though. Yeah. It's one of the great songs. And on songwriting, John, Burt Bacharach. Oh, man. man. Favourite of yours? Yeah, well, he's 94. Just- Good 94, age. and he wrote his first big hit was 1952. That's wow. That's how long he's been he's been at it, and he's written some absolutely fantastic songs, amazing songs, and, and created uh, amazing careers for people. Yeah, actually, Elvis Costello did a whole album with him. He did, uh, of, and it was fantastic. I'm not a huge fan, I have to say, but he was just of Bacharach. Oh, I am a big fan. It was real kind of. It's my, it's my, it's, it's my saccharine poppy side to yes. it. Yes, I yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah. I love all that stuff. Because you're a seventies. I'm a seventies man. If I could, I'd be in a Ford Capri. <laughs> I'd be in an orange Ford Capri with a tash and a pair of flares and uh, collars on your shirt oh, that would go all the way down to your ankles. Although, <laughs> although on the seventies, in the seventies, early seventies, or late seventies, early eighties, one of the great. Renditions of a Burt Bacharach song was Walk On By 
by the Stranglers. Yes, the Stranglers that's did right. a version yeah, of it. It's, yes. So you have the Dion Warwick, you know, lovely, you know, strings and all the sort of yeah. things. And then you have the Stranglers just with the heavy bass. Work. Anyway, sorry, we, we digress. We digress. How are you uh, anyway? Sunshine, I'm have you had a good week? I've, I've, had, had, a, well, week, I've had a really, really busy week, which is, which is always good to be busy. But I have to say, one thing I have been reading and looking at and following is the awful, awful tragedy of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Horrendous. Like, I, I, like today, as a recording, the death toll is touching 25,000, which is mind-boggling numbers. Um, it's a huge number. But I, I read a really interesting piece by your mate, Elif Shafak. Yes. On the weekend on the FT, pointing the, the finger squarely at Erdogan for his lack of investment and lack of preparation. Because in fairness, the, you know, the EU and, and the Greeks in particular responded immediately to the disaster. But Erdogan and the Turkish central government was really slow. But it got me thinking, and I don't want to go on about this, but it got me thinking about... By the way, when John says, I don't want to go on about this, he goes on about this. <laughs> Settle, in. <laughs> Settle in. Get yourself a cup of tea, uh, a packet of digestive biscuits, the chocolate ones, uh, maybe a... Hobnobs. A Kit Kat, maybe milk. To. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a uh, uh, box of milk tray. Come on. Here we go. But, but, no, because, and this is my point, is because we're going to talk about immigration. Yeah. Natural disasters has a big impact on immigration. Sure, sure. And when you look at Turkey and Syria and stuff, along with the wars, the economic disaster, all that kind of stuff, but then you throw in a big natural disaster on top of that. And it adds fuel to the fire. People, of course, are going to leave earthquake-prone area and not come back. And why should they? Well, I mean, I think if you think, if you look at the history of humanity... You know, there's push and pull factors in immigration, but natural disasters are one of the major yeah. push factors. You know, you're just like, I'm not, I'm not going to hang it there. And interesting you say about this place. I've been in the city, Gaziantep, right? So Gaziantep, well, right. so about five years ago, I was asked to do a talk for Syrian refugees from Aleppo. And the Syrian refugees from Aleppo... What are you going to talk to them about? No, for them, raise money for them right, all right, like, right, in right. Turkey. Right? Sorry, talk to them start talking at them. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and actually, so the refugee camp was in Gaziantep. So this exact area. So yeah. Aleppo is about, I think, 50 miles from Gaziantep. Okay. Gaziantep is an enormous, I'd never actually heard of it. Right? I'd right. heard of, there's a mosaic, typical me, there was a, there's a mosaic museum in Gaziantep and I'd heard of that. Right. right? So okay. it's all these Roman and Greek mosaics, which is really fascinating, really fascinating. Discovered, again, by accident, possibly after, possibly after a natural disaster. That okay, unearthed well, they were unearthed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But, so I went on, a, well, went with Lucy and we went to the refugee camp on the border to see the folk who we mm. were raising money for. Because I, mm. I, 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 said, I said to the Turks, I, said, I want to go and chat to these you need people. need to understand it, yeah. Yeah, and what was, Gaziantep is extraordinary. It's a city of three million people. I had never heard of it. Huge, huge city. Yeah. And... The people, it was interesting, the taxi driver was chatting away and they were talking about the Syrians. And you forget, you know, it's really funny, Syrians and Turks, obviously Muslims, mm. but they don't speak each other's language. They can't read each other's alphabet. Oh, right. Because yeah. one is in Arabic, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it was really weird. And there was loads, like there was many hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees there. And that's the epicenter. And you just think, particularly for the Syrians, you know, what have they done to deserve their fate in the last... 10 years, you know, everything that, you know, if you were born in Syria of our generation mm. or the generation coming 
after us, right? We were born in a reasonably civilized country. Peaceful, although Assad was a dictator, but mm. he was, you know, if you if you decided that you were going to actually go along with it, everything was fine. Mm. They were the good education system, good financial system, good economy, everything. Now the country is a total mess. And the only comparison, remember we were talking about Germany in the Middle Ages the other day? The yeah. only comparison is Germany in the 30 years war, where people have been destroyed. And now on top of this, you get this, you know, natural disaster. And as you said, people will leave and they'll be on the move. Yeah. And immigration, so I mean, you're right. The, the, you know, the, the, the idea here is that immigration is a fact of life. Yes. And it's a fact of modern society. It is a fact of 8 billion people in the world. And what do you do about it? You know, and there's people in Ireland saying, okay, that's it. Ireland is full. But that ain't going to stop immigration. So the yeah, question yeah. then is to try and understand people's anxieties. And I think that's where we're going to go today to say, okay, are different people affected differently? And if they are, is it absolutely essential to acknowledge that? Mm. Okay, Mike, just before you go there, let's just take a quick break for this. Absolutely. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So obviously, you know, John, you know, as you said, 25,000 people dead. People are going to move. Lots of people are going to say, well, I'm not going to hang out here anymore. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to move. So, so immigration is the biggest issue at the moment in Ireland. I think it's probably one of the biggest issues everywhere in Europe. And it is the one that is igniting people. And the, the protests we see on the streets in Ireland, I think they are despicable. And I think there's hate crime. And I think someone's going to be killed. This, this, the, the level of violence and anger is so extreme. Mm. It's very, very clear that the National Party, whatever they're called, are trying to weaponize immigration to try and build a political platform. There's yeah. no doubt, right? And how they're doing it is street protests, et cetera, et cetera. But interesting, the latest data, right? Let's, let's go back to data, right? The latest data from Ireland is kind of interesting, right? So Kev Cunningham, who's been on the show, friend yeah. of the show, all around good lad, yeah. loves his data, gets into surveys and analysis and mines the data. 
he has a company called Ireland Thinks, yeah. and they do surveys. And I think it was for the Irish Indo, the Sunday Indo last week. Okay, right. right. Yeah, and the yeah. Sunday Indo published this thing that's very interesting. So it broke down attitudes to immigration, not by class, not by income, but by political affiliation. So what party, right? Mm. And then, of course, you can do your own ecker from there, right? Yeah. Now, the fascinating thing, and it's a big problem for Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin, largely a working class party, 61% of all people who intend to vote Sinn Féin want immigration to stop. They believe that Ireland has enough refugees and that's it. Yeah. Now, this is a big problem for Sinn Féin because the Sinn Féin leadership is very liberal. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. much that this is one world and we're going to look after everybody. But the grassroots of Sinn Féin say we don't want more immigrants. Contrast that with Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, the middle class, centrist vote, much more likely to be tolerant. Not much more likely, more likely to be tolerant. Mm. I think it's 47% of Fine Gael voters, right, say Ireland has too many. But yeah. way out in front are, of course, Sinn Féin. Well, yeah, but that is odd with Sinn Féin, given that a core part of the Sinn Féin philosophy is nationalism as well. It's, yeah, well, that's the thing. It's so you liberal this, nationalism. It's liberal nationalism. So what the Sinn Féin leaders are doing is it's it's like archbishops dancing on the head of a needle, <laughs> right? Do you remember that yeah, expression yeah, about, yeah, yeah, about yeah. Right? So because what they're trying to do, they're trying to appeal. First of all, they've got the the Chucky R law, right? Yeah, thirty two county republic, right? So nationalism, ethnic Irish, yeah, the Rabbi Irish Seth race, tricolor, all that carry on, right? Okay. That's one time which both you and I, well, you qualify. I don't think I qualify for their their their, their ethnocentric, ethno-nationalist view of the world. Okay, that's that's what. But when on the other, does. but the exactly, but the other the other side of them is a sort of an internationalist leftist idea, you know, which is that all workers are the same. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stemming largely, you know, largely from from it's a Marxist idea, right? Mm. Again, so they've got these two intellectually difficult things to reconcile: the ethnocentric, ethno-nationalist. All workers are the same, except for Irish workers are better than everybody else. Yeah. And then all workers are the same, right? <laughs> but of course, their, their, their voters are largely working class people. Mm. And then working class people are much more likely to compete with immigrants. So economists use this awful expression, excuse me, but I'll use it, right? Go on. Okay, is whether or not you are in competition or you're complemented by something, right? Okay. So in competition, we know what it means, makes sense. You're full on competition. You win, I lose. Complementary is we both win at the same time. Mm. So the argument is that immigrants, because they compete, first of all, in the job markets, right? They compete in the public health market. Like they turn up on A and E's, even yeah. though we know immigrants don't turn up as much as locals, right? Yes. That's public true. schools and of course housing on the housing waiting list. So the yeah. housing is the big issue. We'll come back to it in a minute, right? So if you are already feeling the squeeze, if you're already feeling that you might be left behind, if you're already feeling that life is a huge struggle, immigrants complicate that enormously for you. Take the middle-class voters, right? Middle-class voters see immigrants and what they meet them, they meet them in shops, they meet them in hotels, they meet them in restaurants. They are the people who are in the service industry. Yeah. So they are actually providing services for the middle-class folk. And with the exception of housing, which is a universal issue, middle-class people's perceptions of immigration is completely different. So what economists, the problem with economists is economists say the economy gets workers, and I, I suffer from this too. The economy gets workers, but the society gets people. And immigrants are people. Right, and yes. that's yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. this is the idea that culture 
will always trump economics because culture actually speaks to people's hearts, whereas economics speaks to people's heads. Yes. And your head is great for analysis and all this sort of stuff, but at the end you vote. It's, it's this extraordinary thing I've always felt so different. You know, it's how do you feel about things is much more important than what do you know about things. Mm. And people feel threatened. These people are feeling threatened. And we can talk ad nauseum about the aggregate of how brilliant we know for economics immigrants are. But actually, for people's lives, they're feeling threatened. And, well, if, you, and if you look at the, just, just one thing, so Shinners, so working class people who vote for Sinn Féin feel threatened. Yeah, and I understand that. And, and you know, in, in many ways, it, that's absolutely fair enough. You know, we, you don't want to have to compete. When things are hard enough, you don't want to have to compete further for housing and for jobs and all the rest. But it's the boyos who, our culture, our country. Burn them out. Yeah, the burn them out bullshit of, well, you know, bullshit. because in some way it's going to lessen the Irishness of Ireland. And as we spoke before about, it actually complements it can enhance of course it multiculturalism well, <clears throat> enhances and it's inevitable it's inevitable number one it's inevitable number two as i said to you before irish culture and north face jackets seem to be going together right it's a, it's, a, it's, it's the north face revolution i have a skin fade a north face jacket and away we go right but my point is my point is that those of us who want to welcome immigrants probably need to be aware of the fact that there is a real anxiety out there. Yeah, yeah. As evidenced by the fact that over half of all Irish voters say this is a problem. So this is a main, this is becoming a mainstream issue. Now, obviously, you're absolutely right. Top of people's agenda, cost of living and housing. They're mm. the two big things. Yeah. But, but percolating under is immigration and we need to figure out what we're going to do about it. And if you look at Brexit, so you look at the UK, right? In 2020, a report in the wake of Brexit by Oxford University on immigration looked at the facts of immigration in terms of how it affects different levels of society, right? And what they found is that every 1%, this is interesting, this was EU immigrants, so mm. they're trying to explain where the Brexit vote came from, right? But this, the, the, the data is interesting. It says every 1% increase in EU migrants in the UK led to a 0.8% decrease in the wages of native workers the bottom 10%. Oh, right. Okay. okay. Yeah. And interestingly, a 0.6% increase in the wages of the highest earners. Now, this is fascinating. So what is happening is that immigration is competing against the lowest earners, decreasing their wages. Yeah. But it's complementing the wages of higher earners. Why? Because those immigrants that are very, very, very skilled are actually pushing up the aggregate wage at the very, very top because they're actually dragging everything up, right? Right. So what you're getting is this complete discombobulation between the two extremes. Now, over time, these disparities, they, they, sound, they sound small, but over mm. time, these disparities add up. So this study by the University of Oxford, over a quarter of a century, so over the 25 years where EU immigration in the UK after the fall of the Berlin Wall became a thing, what they see is that Immigration into the UK led to a reduction of wages, 4.9% amongst the poorest 10% of That's workers. That's significant. Exactly. And a 4.4% increase in the top 10%. Wow. So what you're seeing is actually immigration from the EU for the Brits mm. at the very extreme impacted poorer people much more negatively. And not only didn't it not negatively impact rich people, it actually enhanced rich people's 
real wages. Right, right. So that is pretty much kind of the deal, right? That immigration affects people disproportionately. And then you throw in public services and then you throw in public housing. Yeah. And what you have is a legitimate concern on the part of poorer people about what is going on. And again, if you look at, if you look at, for example, another fascinating study, and this is all important to get it out because people like you and I who are on the liberal side can only win the arguments by being very honest and very transparent mm. that those who are not on our side have some legitimate concerns. If you look, again, this is a fascinating study by the National Bureau of Economic Research in the States, right? And this, again, is slightly incendiary, but it's interesting. Okay, So cool. they tried to take this view of... They take the black American population, the African American population, as being broadly, broadly the poorest part of the United States. And they're trying to explain what happened in upward social mobility amongst black people in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. So in the 1960s, so you think that the Condoleezza Rice's, the Cosby Show, Obama, these are the yeah. fact that there seems to have been, at least in the 70s and 80s, a significant improvement in the black population's economic progress, right? And this is something that Americans from the civil rights movement in the 60s were hoping for, right? The civil rights movement comes in, it changes legislation, you cannot discriminate against people. And over time, what you'll find is upward social mobility amongst black sure. Americans. Yeah, yeah. And then that stops in the 80s and 90s. So the people are trying to figure out why does it stop? Yeah. Right? Why has that okay. stopped, right? Now, again, this is the, the National Bureau of Economic Research talks about immigration hurting black people more than white people in the United States, right? Because of competition in the jobs market mm. and the housing market and the health market and the education market, et cetera. And they found between 1980 and 2000, and this is quite a long study, 20 years, that immigration largely, I think, from Latin America, they're talking about, explains between about 20 and 60%, depending on region. And I think about this, right? Of the decline in black people in America who have less than a college education. Right? Okay. So poor, undereducated African Americans, mm. they've seen their wages decline. A 25% decline in all employment, so not only wages, but all employment of African Americans, and a 10% increase in incarceration rates. Okay. Right. right. So yeah. what they're doing, what they're saying is that jobs that used to be done by African Americans are now being done by immigrants. I would say largely Latin Americans, but maybe Asians as well. And this, over time, has had this progressive impact on the welfare of African-Americans. And it's, it's kind of, it makes sense, but what it does is it reinforces the idea that the poor get affected incredibly disproportionately by immigration. Right. And then you think, okay, this then, of course, adds to people's perception of race issues. And... I was, I was, there was another fascinating thing, John. It's, it's a study from the University of Psycholinguistics in Amsterdam. Right. Sort of thing we, you and I nice, discussed yeah. over pints, the psycholinguistic analysis, right? Max Planck Institute of Psycholinguistics in Amsterdam it was a study by a woman called Shiri Lev Ari. And it was about why our perception of foreigners and strangers. Mm. And it was about accents. Yeah. It's really interesting, right? So this study asked non-native people Right, non-native English speakers. Right, Poles, Czechs, Russians, 
Africans of all sorts, Asians of all sorts, right? To say really banal expressions, right? And they recorded them, right? And they then played those really banal expressions like, can I have a cup of tea or something? Right. To native English speakers. Yeah. And they asked the native English speakers to listen and rank which person they thought was telling the truth of which person they, they Ooh, believed. Jesus. Which person they, so it's very easy, they believed, right? Yeah. And what they found was that native English speakers, like us, yeah. believe native English speakers much more than we believe people with heavy foreign accents. Wow. And it's really interesting, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they thought, well, why is this? So what is the evolutionary trigger mm. that makes us highly sensitive to accents? And actually in our head, psychologically, ranks people's positions in terms of true credibility, truth, whatever. And they believe, obviously, that what actually happened is that accents, somebody who speaks differently to you, triggers some deep psychological alarm bells in our heads, right? Which is, which is an evolutionary right. echo of our history. So if you think the history of humanity, we started with the people, the history of humanity is one tribe conquering another. Yeah. You know, if you go all the way back, yeah, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. and we all move around, one crowd invading another space, so what they're saying is that very, very deep in our psychology is this emotional alarm bell when it comes to people who sound foreign because historically meeting somebody who sounded different wasn't a good thing, right? right it yeah, didn't yeah, end yeah. up well for one, one party, right? Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is that on top of all the economic issues are these deep, emotional, evolutionary issues, which, which is quite fascinating. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, that, that's a fascinating, I must have a read of that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but I wonder how much of that is nature and how much is nurture. You know, how much is programmed into that? I think uh, you're right, yeah. Uh, all foreigners are, are a bit dodgy in some way or other, or not, you know, or how much is kind of passed on through millennia. I think yeah. I think I think it's both. I think basically there's a little bit of anxiety passed on through millennia, and that is then reinforced by all sorts of, particularly by by media comments. Yeah, you know, and reinforced well, by social actually, comments. The media, it, you see, that's a really interesting point as well, because what I've noticed on a lot of radio stations, Irish radio stations, and I know it's the same in the UK and in newspapers, etc. And in America, which is got shock. Oh well, of culture. course, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I'm kind of discounting that but is that it's everything is so polarised, everything is so black and white, so binary, that you're either for or, or against. against. And, yeah. and if you if you voice a concern about immigration, oh my God, you're a, you're a far-right racist type stuff, when in actual fact, in reality, everything is, we're talking about the legitimacy of concerns about immigration, and there are, and there are very legitimate concerns. But it's not on or off, right or left. No, it's a blend. It's it's it's, it's always a blend, and it's in the grey. It is in the grey, and and you know what? That's 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 the great Indian expression: "In the dark, all cats are grey." So when yeah. things, you know, it's true. It's a really it's interesting thing. All cats look grey in the dark, right? And the fascinating thing is that immigration. Though, okay, let's let's go. The movement of people, and the movement of capital, and the movement of goods are one and the same package. You cannot disentangle, right? Yeah. We have, rightly or wrongly, embraced globalization in this country. I think absolutely rightly, right? As this country, I've always said, people tend to say, oh, well, the Irish economy took off because Sean Lamas and TK Whittaker came up with some report. Bullshit. The mm. Irish economy took off when we became open and we became tolerant 
and we allowed creative people to do their thing and we didn't judge people's sexuality or morality or race. Yeah. And we said, you are welcome here. And people either stayed, Irish people who were creative and maybe were gay or maybe in a different lifestyle, they used to go to London, used to go to New York, they stayed yeah, here. Yeah. So the, the correlation between liberalism, tolerance, openness and economic performance is unambiguous, right? And this goes all the way back to the Dutch Republic of the late 16th, early 17th century. What you find is liberal democracy with kind of its wishy-washy, squidgy, centrist view. It'll be all right, don't worry, we all get on together. Although it doesn't, it's not the sort of thing, people, thing that people go over the barricades for. Yeah. But it's yeah. actually what has delivered amazing results over the years, right? And then you think, it was like, it was like when Tyler Cowen was talking to us last week, economic growth, Yes, it's just a number, but what it does, it gives you a better lifestyle. Yep. It gives you better yep. health. It gives yep. you better education. It gives you better, actually, housing. It gives you better everything, right? So this is the thing to be protected. So we know that the liberal tradition is the font of all wealth creation. And we know that the illiberal tradition, i.e. putting up borders, being ethnocentric, being pure, being nationalists, is the root to disaster, which is precisely if Irish people look at what happened in this country between 1922 when we got independence, right? Mm. And, and this year, 100 years, you can split Irish economic or social policy into two halves, except there won't be two halves, it's two Dave McWilliams halves. It's about 70 years and one <laughs> end and 30 years. Right? So the first half is 70 years, right? And then we were ethnically pure, we were Catholic. Yeah. We were as white as could be. We were milk white. We were factor 50 white. Yeah, yeah. Okay. freckles and red hair. Freckles, Misha, right? Okay. <laughs> we went backwards. We had mass emigration. We had poverty. We had child abuse. We had scandals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy stuff, right? We had civil war in the North. We had mad stuff. It would be hard to imagine a country going backwards in Western Europe so quickly. And we did it. Mm. And then suddenly about 1990... Italian 19, we started opening up. We started saying, oh, well, let's get American companies in here. That'll be quite good. Uh, yeah, well, that's foreigners here. Yeah, gay people. Yeah, you can stay. Yeah. And then we go on and we eventually... It was after Bishop Eamon Casey got found out for got having f- a kid in I Boston. I that's when it all changed. But the, the, there are moments, right? Yeah. You know, and then we had uh, divorce. Then we have abortion. We have gay rights. All these are part of a package of, believe it or not, economic accelerators which drive the economy forward. That's where we are now. What the anti-immigration people are saying, we want to go back to some Ireland in the 1970s. Yeah. I'm like, man, can you remember what that was like? Yeah. Right? I have no interest in that. I have no interest in that. But I have an interest in keeping a consensus together in the country and absolutely Absolutely. forcing out the Mm. far right. There is no economic study anywhere in the world, anywhere, that tells you that the far right delivers economic prosperity. The far right delivers poverty. That is the fact going all the way back to the turn of the century, right? The far right delivers poverty, which is actually what's happening in Brexit. In the yes, UK, yeah. the UK have embraced this, I think, reasonably far right agenda, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're going backwards. Yeah, they are. They're going backwards. They and, and the only thing they say was, well, well, let's go back to the 1980s. Or let's go back to this. They're going backwards because capital, talent, labour is saying, do you know what? UK, I'm not interested. Mm. So what we've got to do is we've nailed the idea that liberalism causes the economy to grow. But at the same time, like the example at the very top of the show, we were talking about motor cars in America. Mm. Certain people are badly affected. 
So what do you do about it? Obviously, you need an immigration policy. It's very, very explicit. What is in, what is out. Yeah. For economic migrants, for people who want to do well, who want to come here, number one. Then you need a refugee policy which says, okay, these are the checklists of things. You have to be coming from a country which is where your, where your safety is in danger, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? If I think our state says to Irish people, this is our refugee policy, open, transparent, but we'll police it. This is our migrant policy, our economic migrant policy, which is based on needing certain workers, okay? And EU membership means that everybody from Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, la la, can all come here freely. Then I think people will get it. And houses, houses, houses. Well, I was just I was just about to say that houses, houses, houses. Communicate the plan. Yeah, tell people. plan it properly and communicate. That's where we've fallen down terribly over the last while is a lack of communication and explaining to local communities what is happening, why it's happening, and what the, the short, medium, and long-term plan is. And, and put refugees here in Dunleary. Well, I, that's the other thing, is in spread, South Dublin, where, where, where spread the load. You know, like, so it's not, nobody can be accused of, well, that's not happening. In juries, juries, put, put, put juries, the Baggett Street Hospital, all these places, down around here in Dunleary. So, so fellas from Finglas don't think, okay, Dunleary, Dalky, Kalini, Glastool, Glenageary, all these wealthier parts of the city, they're not shouldering any of this burden. Yeah. We are. And, and that's what they, they well, it's I, optics. I, I, absolutely. It is optics. And it's kind of, if we're all in this together, and if we're all Irish, our culture and all the rest, well, then let's spread the load. And let's all do our best. No, I think so. because and, and but, but to come back to the idea, the basic, basic idea, which is absolutely crucial, is also explain to people that this is part and parcel. You cannot cherry pick the global economy. You cannot say, we want this little nice bit, but we don't want that not nice yeah, bit. Yeah. We want all the wealth, but we don't want any of the responsibility. Because that is what the far right are suggesting we can do. What they're suggesting is we can have prosperity and we can be ethnically pure. And that doesn't exist, A, because there's no example in the past, and B, because the way in which the economy grows and expands is through networks, right? And the network effects, this is something that most economists don't ever explain properly to people. They always think it's vertical, right? Mm. But basically, growth happens horizontally. It's actually all about networks and nodes and people chatting and trading and doing other things together. And if you want to be networked in the global economy, you have to have foreigners because they're the people who create the network. I'll give you one last thing before we go, which is a fascinating thing on immigration. Who do you think are the most successful recent migrants in the United States? Don't know. Most people would say Chinese, Vietnamese, Asians yeah. in general. Yeah. Okay. South, South Asians. And before particular. that, Jews, and before that, Irish, and all that sort yeah, of stuff, yeah. right? The most successful recent immigrant group in America, there's 375,000 of them, which isn't a lot in a country of three, 300 million, mm. right? Are Nigerian Americans. Oh, right, right? okay. So 61% of Nigerian Americans over the age of 25 hold a graduate degree in comparison to, compared to 32% of Native Americans. So they're twice as well educated, okay? 
of Nigerian-American professionals, 45% work in education, and many are professors at top universities. They're entering medicine at a much higher rate than any other immigrants, right? Wow, okay. So you have African people are by far and away the most successful immigrants into the United States right now. And this, again, changes people's perceptions, right? Because the perceptions is African-Americans are always in the lower socioeconomic group. Mm. On the contrary, and then the perception is all people who came from Africa, originated Africa, are going to be by general poor on the contrary. So Nigerian-Americans are the most successful, right? And this is the interesting thing about immigration, is that your perception, going back to this idea of foreigners and strangers, your perceptions can be rooted in complete falsehoods. And what you find when you drill down is things we thought would never happen, happen. Economies we thought that would never grow, grow. And ethnicities we thought were always going to be at the bottom of the pile, end up at the top of the pile. And that comes to your point of the great flux of humanity. Mm. If we in Ireland want a successful economy, we need to understand that immigration is part and parcel of that success. But equally, we've got to listen to those who feel left behind. Because if you don't listen to those who are left behind, they get angrier and angrier and angrier.